Hello and welcome to the Top Tutor Podcast, where we share insider information from the world of elite tutoring to help your students get the best results both academically and in life. I'm your host, Nathaniel Dahlquist, the owner and head tutor at Grove Prep. I've been a tutor since I graduated from Yale in 2015 and focus primarily on standardized test prep and college admissions. Joining me is my co-host, Alexander Friedman. Alex worked as a software engineer and a university researcher before founding Brooklyn Math Tutors in New York City in 2008. Hi, Alex. Hello. And joining us today is Dina Schmid. We have gotten to know her a little bit over the last couple of weeks, and she has an awesome, very cool business niche market that she's going to tell us all about. Hi, Dina. Hi, Nathaniel. Hi, Alex. It's so nice to have you on. Please tell us all about yourself and what you do. Sure. I am a public speaking coach and a certified etiquette instructor. I started Queen City Etiquette five years ago, and I like to help students become more confident through learning etiquette and improving their public speaking skills. This can be really useful for high school students in preparing for any type of college admission or scholarship uh, interview that they're going to have. It can be really good even for just improving their ability to participate in classroom discussions, or perhaps they have to do a lot of presentations and they're uncomfortable with that. I can help with that as well. Really help them reach their goals that are related to public speaking and etiquette. I've been doing this for five years and have helped hundreds of students during that time. Amazing. Are they all high school students or do you have adults also? I also do work with adults, which is good because that allows me to work during business hours with the adults and then can have some weekend and evening times with the students. I do usually only work with high school students. I occasionally will take eighth graders in helping them prepare for competitive high school interviews for the admissions interviews for that. I have worked with students as young as eighth grade, but usually it's the high school set. Wow. How do you teach a student in the eighth grade public speaking skills? Well, we focus really just on that interview and learning to tell your story, learning to tell it authentically. And I do do some exercises with them that will really reduce the like, um, well, like my friends and I, like we like to hang out and get them to be able to just say, I like to hang out with my friends. So we focus on strategies and just being comfortable, learning to make eye contact. Some of those little things make a huge difference, even with an eighth grader. But Dina, surely all of these things are taught in school. <laughs> I wish they were. You probably wouldn't be surprised, actually, Nathaniel, that how many adults come to me saying, I was never taught this in school. It is very rare for a school to even offer any type of communication class or public speaking class, yet alone have a debate team or some type of speech competition. Some schools may have Model United Nations, which give the kids opportunities to learn these skills. But for the majority of high school students, there aren't the opportunities to learn this. Their teacher will say, give a presentation on history topic A, but doesn't really support them in how to do that. And that's where I come in. Now, do you think that's because that isn't taught to teachers, that the teachers don't know how to teach it? Or do you think it's just overlooked in the curriculum and they're like, well, we have to move on to this other project. So like, I really wish I could give you some pointers about how to make clearer points, but we don't have time. So we're moving on. I think it's a combination of both. 
I think you have a lot of teachers that fall into that category of would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy because the fear of public speaking is just so great. And then you have other teachers who just don't have the time. They may be comfortable with it. They may be actually very good at it, but they don't have the time to add the instruction. What is the importance of etiquette? What are the results of not having proper etiquette? Well, I can tell you the overall goal of etiquette is just to be able to make yourself and others comfortable. You know how to behave in any social or business setting so you can be comfortable, you can be confident because the what you were asking there, Alex, as far as what can be the consequences, well, you can embarrass yourself. If we're talking about career preparation, you can maybe not get the job. There's there's lots of stories out there about how etiquette has affected people. I know that there was the former CEO of Charles Schwab who used to interview high-level candidates over a meal at a restaurant nearby where he had prearranged for the server to mess things up. And he would see how they handled it. The etiquette, were they still polite? Were they still saying thank you to the server? Or did they really just lose it? And that was actually an important part of the interview, their etiquette, how they handled that. So it can affect your future, your career. I mean, my goodness, how many times did you ever go out on a date with somebody who maybe had terrible table manners and you think that's it? I am never going out with them again. Oh, yeah. Several more than I care to count. (laughs) It can affect you socially as well. You're that kid that nobody wants to eat lunch with because you chew with your mouth open. Beyond, you know, giving a presentation in a classroom or nailing a job interview, what do you think are the benefits for high schoolers of learning these skills? So this can actually really help them with their confidence and it can help them if they are unhappy with their reputation. So this is a unique situation. I worked with a young woman. She was a high school student. She was also a star athlete. She was working with me a little bit for interview preparation because there was the possibility of her competing in the Olympics. Well, she had a reputation at school for being very unfriendly. She was very introverted, which is not an issue. I don't try to change introverts and make them extroverted. But it came out during our conversations that she was unhappy with that reputation of being so quiet that she was seen as unfriendly. So we talked about etiquette. We talked about the things she could do to make herself and others comfortable so that they would see her more as friendly. We created action steps. Every week she would meet with me, we would come up with a plan. All right, this week I'm going to talk to the people who sit next to me in every class. Just say something to them or another plan. And one week she came in and she was just beaming. She's like, this week I went up to somebody and introduced myself. And it was somebody she hadn't met before, somebody for the first time. And she was so proud of herself because it actually went well. And it was something she would have never thought to do before. So we expanded her comfort zone to the point where she was able to start to change that reputation. Do you encounter much resistance in your students or are they really willing to learn because they're they're there on purpose? I, I'm gonna tell you here, I do interview. I do try to make sure it's a good fit with the parent and the student before I will take someone on for this. It can't be a parent telling me, fix my child. They're introverted. It's a problem. It has to be a child who's saying, you know what, I want to improve my ability to to meet new people. I've had a lot of students at the senior and high school age who want to be able to make a fresh start when they go away to college, but they're afraid to meet new people. Or how do we do it? And we do some role playing. We come up with some ways for them to practice so that when they hit college, they're ready. But 
these are people who are motivated to make the change and not having the parent tell them you need to change. That's the difference between someone who really applies themselves to lessons and someone who, you know, is wasting everybody's time, I suppose. Um, so how did you get into this field? Why are you passionate about teaching this? I'm sure you could teach many, many things. Or, you know, if you're a public speaking coach, there's surely work for that all over the place. Why this particular set of students? So I have a really unusual background. I am a chemical engineer by degree. I actually worked as a chemical engineer for quite a while. I took a little break and have some kids. I'll go back to chemical engineering. And we ended up overseas for my husband's job. I wasn't able to work, came back, and it was an opportunity for me to have the second half of my career. And I could choose whatever I wanted. And I kind of always wanted to teach, but everybody steered me into engineering. Oh, you're good at science and math. You can't be a science teacher, be an engineer. But I really had always wanted to teach. So I ended up in a volunteer position. I was working on a congressional campaign and ended up being the one who coached the candidate for a televised debate. It went really well. I got asked to help another political candidate. I got a third one. I ended up working with an entrepreneur locally, and I realized I was actually pretty good at this. I added the etiquette certification and decided I was going to start in my area. And thanks to the internet, I'm actually working with people worldwide now. That's amazing. If someone were seeking a public speaking coach, what are some things you'd recommend that they look for? I recommend that people look for, number one, someone they're comfortable with and they like their approach. Not everybody is going to have the same approach to public speaking. I like to bring out an individual's style with, that's authentic to them. I don't tell them you need to act this way. For some people, that's actually uncomfortable. They want to be able to be told you need to act this way, you need to move this, you need to do that. So a coach with a much more regimented, formulaic plan might be better for them. I think it also helps if they just ask for the person's experience also with helping their particular goals. So for example, I have a lot of experience working with non-native speakers. That comes because I lived overseas. I know what it takes to be able to live and function in a language that isn't your first language. So I have a lot of empathy for them. I understand that. I also tend to get a lot of people that are more science-oriented, math-oriented. I had a student who represented the U.S. in the International Math Olympiad, and he really liked it that he could talk geek with me. Not all speaking coaches are able to do that. So it just, there has to be a little bit of a rapport there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you, what do you think are some skills that you possess sort of in a unique way? Like what are what are some things that set you apart from maybe a regular public speaking coach or the, a way that you connect really deeply with your students? So I think one of the ways that I stand out is definitely that I am a nerd at heart. I really am. I am a geek. My background is science. I love science and math, all of those kinds of things. So I really identify with the students who are into coding, who want to talk about that. When we're doing the interview prep or we're working on something and they just want to geek out on that, I'm there with them. So I think that is something that makes me unique with my background because I can talk nerd to them. I can understand it too. Even with my adults who are STEM professionals, I understand what they're going through. But at the same time, one of the things that I think is also unique about me is my ability to translate that to everyday language and work with students and help them to be able to translate and still talk nerdy and geeky, but let everyone else understand it. 
So what are some of the first things, let's say I'm a nerdy, geeky person with with poor etiquette or poor social skills. What are some of the first things I should do to like up my social skill levels if I was working with you? So if you were working with me, one of the first things I would be checking is eye contact to make sure that you're able to make eye contact. I would also work with you on reading body language and making sure that when you're geeking out and you're talking nerd, that you can tell when people are tired of hearing it because that tends to be a little bit of an issue. Another thing we would then move on to is making sure you have some good speaking habits, that you're not making one giant long run on sentence and, and, and. Also would definitely make sure that you know how to be concise. That's one thing that those of us who are more the nerdier tend to do is we like to talk about the things we're passionate about and learning to be concise can be an issue. How do you learn to be concise? You practice it and you get feedback from somebody. Somebody who tells you that was too long, oh, you gotta cut off now. It takes some coaching. I tell people also to learn to pick out the main idea. Remember those journalism question words, who, what, where, when, why. Once you've covered all that, you're good. You don't need to keep going on and on and on. I just learned something today. Wow, that's great. I I, I always learn something when I, when I speak to wonderful people like you. I actually have a question about what you said with manners helping other people feel comfortable. Because I've spoken to some parents recently who have had some difficulties connecting with their kids because they're teenagers and are thus sometimes a little bit difficult to interact with. Love them. Definitely understand that. I've raised three of them. Uh, yeah, it's hard sometimes. And so as far as using your speech or the way your mannerisms are sort of the way that you are present to make other people more comfortable, how can parents do that with their students? How can they help their kids feel comfortable talking to them? Well, I always tell people that you have to throw out the golden rule. You may have heard that do unto others as you wish others to do unto you. Treat others the way you want to be treated throw that out the window. That is not good etiquette. Instead, you want the golden rule of etiquette, which is find out how others want to be treated and then do that. That's really what it comes down to is too often we try to project ourselves and our needs onto others when that isn't really what's going to make yourself and others comfortable. That's really what it comes down to. I mean, you can think about it. I have three children that I've raised. They are all now adults. And two of them, when they were sick, wanted all the attention in the world. And one of them wanted to be left alone. If I would have given the, all the attention to the one who wanted to be left alone, it would have been meltdown, push me away, terrible. And if I would have ignored the two that wanted the attention, they would have felt neglected. It's not what they wanted. And that's really, to me, what it comes down to, the heart of etiquette. I find that very insightful. That's great. Have you noticed any patterns with your students of ways that make them feel very heard or can help them open up a little bit? Things that are sort of the same across the board or at least very common? I, you know, each student I work with is individual. There's different. There, there are some themes about it. I think the big thing that I'm seeing now is a lot of students are really wanting to make sure that they are still authentic. They're getting pressure to do this, pressure to do that. And they're like, but that's not me. That's not what I want to do. How do I say this in a way that's not bragging? How do I do this and still be authentic? And sometimes they actually use that word and sometimes they don't, but they're like, eh, it's not me. So I'd say that's one of the themes that I am definitely seeing. How do you navigate the line between being authentic, but also trying to be like the best version of yourself? 
That's a tough one. And that's where really thinking about and reflecting on how you want others to perceive you and what it takes for others to perceive you in that way. So if you want to be seen as someone who is very friendly, but you're not a person who smiles all the time, you're going to have to change something. And maybe you're willing to smile a little bit more at people and you realize that that's really actually who you want to be. So you so you make that little bit of change or maybe you say, you know what, maybe I really am someone who is serious and I'm okay with being seen as serious. It's a process. It's not something that happens overnight. It's something that takes a lot of thought and a lot of careful planning and execution if you really want to make sure you're heading where you want to go. How well do teenagers know where they want to go and who they want to be? They often don't. A lot of times it's not a big process that I work with on the teenagers. Most of the time it's just like, okay, how do you want people to describe you in a very simplified term? Okay, after I give this presentation, I want my teacher to say he was very knowledgeable in the subject. I want my classmates to say he was very interesting. And we keep it very, very basic. It's situational at that point. I definitely, though, have worked with several students who have been at that more senior in high school level on the precipice of adulthood independence who are starting to really contemplate. Who am I? How do I want others to view me? What's my place in this world? And how do I show people who I am? At that point, they're ready for it. The others, it's more situational. Do you teach students any etiquette around screens? I, I usually don't. I have done group programs for that. Yes. I talk about it in terms of just the general etiquette. What kind of message is it sending if you're sitting there like this and you have this barrier between you and the other people you're trying to talk to? I don't do a lot with like the netiquette stuff usually for them. It's more just think about the messages you're sending. If you're constantly texting people, if you've got that phone with you throughout a meal, what message are you sending? Do people really want to see you or do they want to see a screen in front of your face? Hopefully it's a process where they discover on their own because they are teenagers and you can't tell them what to do. It's just helping them to discover what they need to do. Does this process help them like understand their impulses and instincts? Because from what I've learned, the only way to have etiquette is you have to like focus on the outside world. But before that, you need to realize you have all this stuff going on inside you. Like maybe, maybe I'm insecure, so I'm like hiding behind my phone, or maybe I that's why I ramble all the time. Does this help them understand themselves as well? It can. It depends on how deep they want to go. These are teenagers. Some of them are willing to go a little bit deeper than others. Like I said, it's it's a discovery process where you try to lead them where they need to go. You can't force them to, to go there. I actually have an empathy map and a chart, and we do sometimes talk about empathy and what it means and how to show it and how to really get inside other people's minds. That idea, instead of walk a mile in their shoes, insert yourself into their brain. What are they experiencing in their world? What are they seeing, thinking, feeling, doing, saying, hearing, all of that? And using that to guide, I think sometimes that helps them to think about themselves, all the input they're getting and their processing as well. So it sounds to me like what you go through with these students is part pedagogical, it's part teaching specific skills, but it's also self-discovery and self-mastery. Does that sound right to you? 
It, it does. It also depends on the individual's goals. And sometimes it morphs. I actually am working with a student right now who came to me for one specific skill and has actually requested, we're now doing a lot more of the, what I will call growth coaching at this point. We're incorporating a little bit more of the other things in a second hour a week working with him. So we're still working on just the speaking skills, preparing him for interviews. He's got presentations to do. He's leading clubs now. He would didn't even know how to lead a club meeting before he came to me. So we're working on all those things, but we have added in a second session that is a little bit more of what I will call that growth coaching of the other soft skills. How did you learn etiquette? Boot camp, etiquette boot camp, American School of Protocol. You go down and you spend a week, I would say, just submersed in etiquette, binders of it, classes, everything for a week. And there's even a gigantic final exam. When you pass that, you get your certification. I thought I had known etiquette prior to that. I honestly did. I thought my mom had done a really good job with it. I always wrote thank you notes, all those kinds of things. But boy, there was. So much I didn't know. So much. What'd you learn? What are, can you give us some examples of things that you were like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Yeah. So I was eating my bread wrong all my life. Oh yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't realize I was supposed to break it into individual bites over my plate and then have just that one bite. So you just lift it up, take it, or you break it in half. I mean, that was good enough, right? Break it in half, you're good enough. And then the crumb pile would be all over. Now I can eat bread without a crumb. But honestly, I, I will tell you, while I do teach that kind of stuff, I do tend to focus not on all these little individual rules, but more on the bigger overarching principles, such as, as I told you, find out how others want to be treated and do that. It's a little bit more of an approach that takes into account that empathy and isn't memorize these 365 rules of etiquette, because that can be overwhelming for a lot of people. Indeed. If you could wave a magic wand and all of a sudden all the kids and adults in the world would have learned a rule, just one, is there one rule that you're just like, I really wish everybody knew this? Close your mouth when you're eating. Oh my gosh, how many people chew with their mouth open? And it's potentially just more of a pet peeve than anything, but wouldn't the world be a more pleasant place if we didn't hear all the time during meals. <laughs> I completely agree. Oh, I love it. What are some of the like the biggest transformations you've seen in people who perhaps worked with you long term? I have a couple that come to mind. In addition to the young girl I told you with who was the athlete who was so excited because she changed her reputation at school and found the courage to introduce herself to new people. There are a couple adults that come to mind. In particular is a woman that when we did an initial consultation over the phone, I thought she was maybe a 22-year-old recent college grad, Jersey type. And it turned out she was actually an attending physician in her mid to late 30s. Her style of dress matched the initial impression I had, and she had no respect from work. In addition, she found that she was getting inappropriate advances. People were telling off-color jokes in front of her that she was not appreciative of. Lots of those kinds of things going on. We worked on a complete transformation, even I, referring her out to a vocal coach so she could change the way she spoke because she sounded a little bit like Fran Drescher in The Nanny, if you've ever heard that nasally voice, changed the way she dressed, the way she acted towards others. And by the end, she said she was not getting the off-color jokes, remarks, advances, none of that. And all of a sudden, she had the respect of the professional she was because she had been throwing off the vibes of 
a young, inexperienced non-professional. So that is it. The other transformation was someone who came to me terrified absolutely terrified of speaking on Zoom. By the time we were done, he had a reputation as fearless, which is what he had wanted. He got a promotion and a million dollars in stock options. I never charged him enough. Yeah, I guess not. Wow, he recouped, eh? He did. He absolutely did. Actually, real quick, I just want to mention something about that, which is, to me, this is a skill that pays for itself over and over and over again, that that taking some time and resources and investing them in this particular type of education is one of the best things you can do for yourself, in my opinion, as someone who has also gone through coaching of this kind. I, I would agree. It really is, especially if you're talking about setting yourself up for future career success. Learning these skills when you are younger gives you even all the more opportunity to practice them and apply them. It's the same skills whether you're giving a presentation or in an interview or having conversations with people at a networking event, which is oftentimes where the magic actually happens. If you can have that confidence, if you can project the image that you want, you're setting yourself up for that success. Some people have a lot more of this to begin with because they have parents who have a lot more of this to begin with. So it ends up being a very uneven playing field unless you take a course with someone and, and consciously practice these skills. Is that correct? Um, yes and no. I have actually worked with people who've been intimidated because they have a parent or a significant other or even a sibling who is so successful at it that they're intimidated and they don't feel they can live up to that. So sometimes you think it's a role model situation and it doesn't quite work out that way. It actually works against them. But I do think there are kids who naturally, perhaps through DNA, have an advantage in this. They do find it easier. A lot of the parents that I work with, their students have learning differences, difficulties, or they're neuroatypical in some way. Do you have any recommendations for parents with kids like that where, is, is it the same stuff? Is it the same lessons that you'd give to somebody who's uh, neurotypical? Or is there are there special things that you might do to help those kids? Sure. So I have definitely worked with STEM students and some kids who are not neurotypical. In particular, they have been uh, have pretty severe ADHD or are somewhere on the spectrum. I have had a lot of success with those students. I will say just to have patience, it does oftentimes take longer. It takes a lot more practice, more role plays so that they can learn how to apply the skills that they're learning they can definitely make improvements. I have seen a lot of success in this area, but just be patient with it and keep doing it over and over and over again until it sticks and it starts to become part of the muscle memory. I want to go back to the gentleman you mentioned who uh, was afraid of Zoom and then ended up having a million dollar, I think you mentioned stock options. What are some of the lessons or skills or tasks that you did with him to go from terrified to fearless? One of my philosophies is that you do not step out of your comfort zone ever with me. You expand your comfort zone. I will put people through some exercises that are definitely comfort zone expanding, weird things. And then I point out, look, you just did A, B, and C. Now, if you apply those same skills A, B, and C that we just did here to your real life situations, you're going to be unstoppable. So I believe in really sometimes... Putting a little bit more stress on them and 
showing them that they can succeed. I am pretty good at this point, though, at picking out exercises and knowing just how far to push a student. I wouldn't recommend a parent try something like this. It could backfire on them with a student, absolutely. But at this point, I tend to know I can pick up people's strengths and give them an exercise that will help them demonstrate that. Sometimes it's just even an exercise where I have them listen, repeat, and respond to show that you can actually respond without having to plan it in your head ahead of time. I was going to ask, yeah, are there any exercises that uh, you'd be willing to share just to give us an idea of what, what you mean? So that's one of them. Listen, repeat, and respond. And I ask them not to repeat verbatim. They're not trying to memorize what I'm saying. But let's say we were having a simple debate and we're going to make it something fluffy, like should pineapple be on pizza? Okay. If you and I were having that debate, Alex, and you were to have told me that, yes, pineapple should be on pizza, it's absolutely delicious. I would listen to your words. I would repeat. I would say, well, Alex, I understand that you think pineapple on pizza is delicious. And then I respond. However, I think it's making a dish that's already unhealthy, even more unhealthy. And then I would expect you to have listened to what I said, not be planning what you were going to say next, repeat what I just said, and then respond. And we, we would go back and forth with something like that for a while. So you can see that you don't have to just block people out because oftentimes your ability to speak is directly related to your ability to listen. Can you tell us more about that, about how you help them with this listening and how that translates into better speaking? A lot of speakers who are terrified are in their heads. You've probably experienced a situation at some point in your life where you're being asked to introduce yourself. Okay, you know yourself. You know what you, you need to say. If you are somebody who is terrified, though, when everybody is going around the room or on the Zoom screen, whatever it is, all you're doing is thinking, I need to say my name. I need to say this. I need to say this. And you are missing out on what everybody else is saying. You're also sending a signal to your brain that you can't handle this. You're making yourself more nervous. Whereas if you just sit down, concentrate on what other people are saying, you won't ratchet up the nerves. You'll learn the other people's names and information about them, which is going to help you later when you need to follow up. In that calmer state, because you've been listening and not rehearsing in your head, you're now actually better able to introduce yourself. So it sounds like there's a strong element of mindfulness on it. Like, where is your attention? Is it is it like on yourself and what can go wrong? Or is it on other people and how they are and what's going on in the outside world? It also is really important in an interview. You have to answer the question you've been asked and not answer the question you thought you heard. Yeah, that's a great point. I wanted to ask you as well, why is this work particularly meaningful to you? Like, why is it that this, you could have done so many things. Why is it that this is kind of your chosen life path and the thing that you spend all of your time doing? Why, why is it so meaningful? I love seeing the transformations. I get a lot of pleasure from seeing other people succeed. I know there are people in this world who are going to be the lead singer. I'm more that behind the scenes backup singer who loves to see others succeed. That's my personality profile. That's one of the reasons I also have picked this because I think I'm actually good at it. I know that I've been able to help a lot of people. I figure that's where you take the things that you're good at and the things you like to do and where they overlap is where you should be. Oh, especially if the things you can earn money with. We, we can't forget that. <laughs> that, that extra part of the Venn diagram. I'm also really good at eating ice cream, but that's not going to be a, a profession for me. 
Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't pay the bills just yet. We'd have to get clever about that one. Right. Dina, is there anything else that you wanted to say or any other insights you have or anything else you'd like to share before we sign off here? Gosh, I feel like you've already plucked all the little bits and pieces out of my brain. I just would encourage people to not be afraid to speak up. I know there's a lot of people out there who are afraid. And if you are someone who is nervous, who is terrified by the thought of getting up in front of people and speaking or even one-on-one conversation introducing yourself, then I would encourage you to seek some help for that. There's lots of different ways Coaches are a great way because you get that immediate feedback, customized way. But there are books that have been written. There are courses you can do online. There are podcasts you can listen to. Lots of ways. You don't have to be afraid. You actually can overcome that fear with a little bit of work. Dina, where can people find you? Sure. They can find me online. My website is Queen City Etiquette. I am in the state of Ohio. I'm in the Cincinnati area, which is Cincinnati is one of many cities known as the Queen City. We like to think we own Queen City. So that is where they can find me. They can contact me through my website or they can reach out to me. It's Dina at QCEtiquette.com if they want to email me. They can find me on social media. I will admit as someone who is more of the behind the scenes, I am not super active on social media, but I can be found there as well. Wonderful. Dina, I just want to thank you so much for joining us. The care that you take with your students, the wisdom you've accrued over the many years that you've been teaching and the experience that you bring to all of this incredible insight and the way that you help these students, whether they're kids or adults or whomever, is really wonderful. And I just really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us and give everybody else some of the insights into what you do and a little bit of the magic that you help with your students. Right. Well, thank you, Nathaniel. And thank you, Alex. It was fun talking to you guys this evening. Well, I guess it's your morning and your afternoon <laughs> with all the different time zones. Oh, yeah. It's always crazy. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. If you have any questions about what we talked about today, we'd love to hear them. There's an email address in the show notes. And if there's anything you'd like for us to discuss on the podcast, please send those ideas to us as well, as we want to provide information that you'll find useful. That is, after all, the whole point. Thank you all so much, and we'll see you next time.